Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilat Tunava in Thornton, Colorado. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open in prayer. Avina Malkinu, our Father, our King, Lord, we're thankful and we're excited that you have brought us to this place once again to study your words, to learn of you, to soak up the Spirit, to revel in the finished work of Messiah Yeshua. Lord, we bless you as you are continuing to raise us up for such a time as this, causing us to walk in your ways and to be witnesses for your great name, causing us to be empowered by the Spirit to live holy lives, to be pleasing to you, to walk in the reality of the forgiveness of our Messiah Yeshua, to know that Jesus is Lord and that he is Christ and that he can rule over our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you have empowered us to be light, to be salt, to be a witness to those around us, to share the good news of, of, uh, of salvation with the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Thank you that you have placed your Torah on, on our hearts, that you've written your words on our minds, and that you are causing us to be a people of God. Bless you, Lord, for the book of Galatians and for superintending the letter, for causing Paul to be passionate about his uh, writings and to um, uh, to effect a change in the lives of the people that he was writing to. Thank you that those truths are still relevant for us down to this very day. And Indeed, your words are living and they are life, and that's why we cling to them, Lord. Thank you for each and every student that has joined us tonight. I pray that you will give them the supernatural ability to understand and to retain that which they're studying. Give them a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Give them the uh, um, uh, the freedom to walk in forgiveness and peace and wholeness so that they can uh, share that uh, uh, perspective, that view, that belief, uh, with their friends, their family members, their neighbors, their co-workers, uh, with, indeed with anyone that they might meet. Be with me as a teacher. Help me to recall the things that I've studied this week and help me to continue to press in for further truth. And I'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory for all of these things. B'Shem Yeshua, Amen. All right, well, uh, let's give this recording a date stamp. Today is the 3rd of September, so it's um, September, oh, is this, is that right? Let me look at my calendar here again. I apologize. September 3rd, yeah, that's correct. I was about to jump a week ahead. It's September 3rd, 2016. Um, and, uh, you're listening to my Galatians commentary. My name is Ariel, and we have been studying, uh, week after week. We're currently on week 39 of our study, and, uh, we're nearing a semester break. If you recall, um, each Semester is 10 weeks long, where we study for 10 weeks, and then we take a break for two weeks, and then we start again after that two-week break. So um, since we're nearing week 40, uh, then we'll take a semester break after week 40. But for now, we've got two more weeks to go, so hang in there. If you are um, curious as to where you can find the study, if you're not in the class with me live tonight, you can follow along uh, in a variety of ways. You can go to my website at tetzetorah.com, T-E-T-Z-E. T-O-R-A-H dot com. Right along top, there's a link that says Galatians Commentary. Click that, and you'll find the information there on the page about the um, written notes, the PDF document, 
the uh, web page version of the study, as well as information on joining the live study. Um, usually we meet in the evening, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., and, um, uh, you know, we've been meeting on Tuesday nights, but uh, because I started work, I need to switch the night from Tuesday to possibly either Friday night or Saturday night. Tonight we're meeting on Saturday night, obviously. But uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, make a decision over the break as to which night we're going to stay with, Friday night or Saturday night, so I'll let you know. But for now, um, you can follow along uh, via iTunes, because I take the audio commentary that I record that night and upload it to iTunes as a podcast, and um, you can subscribe to that or you can just simply listen to it. Also, you can just simply listen to the audio on my website at that uh, tatesaytor.com under the Galatians commentary link. Look for uh, information about the live study there. Okay, so um, let's jump into the study. But before we do, let's jump to some liturgy. I like to read a little bit of Hebrew and Greek before we jump into the study each night. So if you're with me in the live study, if you look on your screen, you'll see I've got the the general uh, blessing for learning of Torah. And uh, Judaism likes to read this blessing before they engage in Torah study. And so I like to uh, follow that tradition as well tonight. I'm going to read the um, English first, and then I'll read the Hebrew for you. So if you want to follow along on the screen, it reads, Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves with the words of Torah. Please, Lord our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouths, and in the mouths of all your people, Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, may we all together know your name and study your Torah for the sake of fulfilling your desire. Blessed are you, Lord, who teaches Torah to us people, Israel. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the nations and gave us the Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. May the Lord bless you and keep watch over you. May the Lord... Make his presence enlighten you, and make he, may he be kind to you. May the Lord bestow favor on you, and grant you peace. Give me a moment, let me just check something real quick. Make sure the recording's... Yep, looks good. Okay, let's read the uh, Hebrew of that same blessing. It reads, Baruch atah Adonai lochinu melech haolam asher kitshanu b'mitzvotayv v'tzivanu la'asuk b'divrei Torah v'harev na Adonai lochinu et divrei toratacha befinu fiot amcha beit Yisrael v'nihye anachnu v'tzetzeinu v'tzetzei amcha beit Yisrael kulano yodeshmecha v'lomdei toratacha lishma baruch atah Adonai ham lamed Torah l'amo Yisrael baruch atah Adonai lohenu melech haolam asher b'achar banu b'kol ha'amim v'natan lanu et Torah to baruch atah Adonai noten ha Torah, yivirecha chay Adonai veyishmarecha, yadonai panai velacha vukunecha, yisa Adonai panai velacha veyasim lecha shalom. Okay, let's turn to a passage out of the Apostolic Scriptures, uh, i.e., the New Testament, and let's read some um, English and some Greek. This time I've used the familiar Galatians 5, 1 through 6 passage because of the topic that we're going to be covering tonight will involve um, so, uh, so a small amount of exposition from this particular passage. And again, we've read this passage in the past, and since this is a study on Galatians, nearly exclusively I'm using um, passages out of uh, Galatians, and usually a passage that is more relevant for um, the force of what I'm trying to teach uh, in the book of Galatians, and that's this whole topic about Jewish and Gentile inclusion and the people of God, uh, who has a right to become a covenant member, who has the right to follow Torah, how does one be, how is one counted as a righteous person, how is salvation attained, etc., uh, etc. Et so usually the, the passage I select has that um, theme in mind. So let's read this one again. Familiar passage, Galatians 5. 1 through 6 reads, this is uh, ESV once again, uh, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. 
For through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let's read the uh, Greek of that same passage. You'll see if you're on the screen with me tonight, if you're in class with me tonight, I've got, uh, I believe this is the um, Nestle 1904 Greek pulled up for us. And it reads, Te eleutheria hemos Christos eleutherosin, steikata un kai me palen zugo duleas in a kesta, ide ego palas lego, human hati in per temnesta, Christos humas uden o felese, marturumai de palen panti anthropo per, tam, per temnameno, hati o felates. As den Holland ton naman poye sai. Katergetete apo Christu, hoi tennis in namo, deke uste tes karatas exapasate. Hemes gar pnumati epistios elpida, deke usunes apic decametha. In gar Christo Jesu, ute per tu me tiiscue, ute acrobustia la. Pistis di agapes in ergumene. Okay, that'll be our Greek for tonight. All right, let's jump into the uh, study. What I uh, want to do real quick is I want to go backwards just a split second to what we talked about last week. We were introducing this idea of um, under the law uh, works. I'm sorry, works of the law in Paul, and uh, essentially um, I was working from. Uh, this idea that as you uh, as you go through Paul's writings, you're going to encounter uh, basically perhaps a few different perspectives on what the main thrust of Paul's teachings are and um, what perhaps Paul's uh, uh, impetus was for writing the letter. In other words, what 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 occasioned the letter, and therefore why did he have to write what he write? I like to term this. Um, problem and solution. Problem and solution. What what was the problem in Paul's day that caused him to um, uh, present the solution the way he did? And if you're in screen with me tonight, if you're in class with me tonight, you'll see what, what I've got in front of us is this. I, I created this little chart real quick this morning before I got started. Uh, it's, I call this chart a comparison of first century views on soteriology. And we're going to be talking about this idea of salvation from um, the perspective of Paul's contemporaries. In other words, how did they think they could achieve salvation? What were they using to leverage? Uh, what were they leveraging in order to uh, gain salvation? What were they placing their faith in? And you'd be amazed that in my understanding of reading through Paul and studying the scriptures, there's actually about three views or three interpretations of what's going on. What, three interpretations of what the problem is and what the solution is. And so let's look at this chart real quick as a primer to our study tonight. Um, the prevailing Jewish view, as I understand it from reading Paul, the prevailing Jewish view that was present in that day, in first century, was this. Here's the problem. Here's the way I articulate it. The problem was that Jews believed they were covenant members by election, that is, by group affiliation or Jewish ethnicity. Jews felt that Gentiles might try to become covenant members without taking on legally recognized Jewish status first. So that's the problem, the way I state it. And the solution to this problem, in my understanding, was that, again, this is my understanding of the Jewish view of the problem. So this, this doesn't mean that I espouse to their solution. This is just a, a description of the way I understand they presented their solution. You understand? So, the problem, Jews believe they were covenant members by election. The solution... Gentiles must become Jews in order to be counted as covenant members. Subsequently, Torah will then be applicable to them as Jews. So that's the solution. Problem, Gentiles aren't Jews. Solution, Gentiles must become Jews. Then they become then, then they are counted as covenant members, and then Torah is given to them as covenant members, and they can enjoy, um, um, uh, uh, what do we say, obedience to Torah, walking in Torah, uh, the provisions and blessings of Torah, and etc., etc. All right. The second prevailing interpretation of Paul's writings, I like to, to call it um, uh, 
the prevailing Christian interpretation of Paul's letters. And in this view, um, the problem is articulated this way by the prevailing Christian view. And this is essentially the position that you're going to find when you um, visit most churches tonight, most churches today. The problem is stated this way. Jews and Gentiles were trying to earn salvation by keeping Torah, viz. by good works, which is essentially a description of merit theology. It's plain and simple. That's kind of the, the way the problem is is described by the Jewish interpretation of Paul's letters. I'm sorry, by the uh, Christian interpretation. And the solution that's presented by most of Christianities of today is stated somewhat like this. Jews and Gentiles must believe in Jesus in order to be saved. Subsequently, Torah becomes annulled because of Jesus' fulfillment of the law. In other words, working from verses like... Uh, um, I didn't. I I um I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In other words, Jesus fulfilled the law, so we don't have to do it. Paul says in Romans uh, six fourteen and fifteen that we're no longer we're not under law, but we're under grace. He says in Galatians five, uh, uh, you know, I Paul will tell you that if you become circumcised, Christ will have no advantage to you. Um, you know, it's not by um. It's not by the works of the law that a man is justified, but by faith in Jesus Christ, Galatians 2, 15 and 16, things like that. So working from those verses, the Christianities of today had developed a solution that involves uh, faith in Jesus with the, uh, ex with, uh, to, the, um, to the exclusion of any Torah obedience after one becomes a believer. So in essentially the, the law gets set aside, it gets, um, it gets fulfilled, it gets suppressed, um, this doesn't mean that we are antinomian. This doesn't mean that we're lawless. This doesn't mean that we're animos. This doesn't mean that we're free to sin. I understand that, that Christianity is not um, advocating that view. But what they are uh, essentially stating is that as Christians, we no longer have to concern ourselves with the, with the ceremonial civil portions of the law. And this would include um, the, the parts that are identified as um, a Sabbath-keeping, festival-keeping, uh, new moon keeping, um, kosher keeping, uh, mezuzah keeping, uh, uh, mezuzah uh, placing, um, seat seat wearing, um, and and all of these things that are associated with what most Christians identify as ceremonies, right? So we don't have to keep our particularly the three biggies: the the Sabbath, the food laws, and the circumcision. Those are kind of the what are are elevated above many of the others. Is is the Sabbaths, which would include the festivals. And then uh, keeping kosher, you know, avoiding shellfish and pork, etc. And then um, circumcision for, for babies. Those three are kind of the biggies that Christianity has essentially uh, abandoned in favor of uh, faith in Jesus and walking by the Spirit and things like that. All right, nothing new. Now let's turn to what I describe as my understanding of Paul's letters. Again, this is kind of a brief a recap of where we're moving in our study right now. And most of this is old news to you, but I need to refresh your memory um, because we're going into a topic that's not very familiar to many of you. In fact, we're using a term that I don't hear uh, being used in many Christian circles called covenantal nomism. We're going to talk about that tonight, covenantal nomism. All right, and this primer that I'm giving you is going to help you understand covenantal nomism. So my understanding of reading Paul's letters and uh, corroborating the the um, the uh, scriptures themselves as the primary sources, along with uh, and, and allowing historical documents uh, that have survived the destruction of the temple, viz. many of the historical Jewish writings, uh, the Talmud, the Mishnah, the Gemara, uh, some of the uh, rabbinic writings, and some of the uh, first, the earlier uh, patristic writings, the, the early writings of the of the uh, Christian fathers, things like that. If, if if we use that research to back up, uh, to to undergird what the scriptures teach as a whole, and when I say the scriptures, I mean the to Old Testament that holds up, that undergirds the New Testament theology. So the New Testament theology, in my understanding, is is um, supported by Old Testament theology, Old Testament precedent, Old Testament. Uh, what we might call the antecedent theology, the, the prophecies, the, the structure of the Torah itself um, w uh, uh, supports what the New Testament teaches. It, they, they're not opposed to one another, in my opinion, and they don't um, undermine one another. We, we shouldn't be using the New Testament to undermine the Old Testament, so to say. But here's what I understand when I read Paul. My articulation of the problem in Paul's day 
is that Paul recognized the error of ethnic-driven salvation for Jews only, and that Jews and Gentiles were not trying to keep Torah in order to become covenant members, but were instead trusting in legally recognized Jewish identity and subsequent maintenance of membership via obedience to Torah. You understand the difference? Uh, my understanding of the problem is not really the same as the prevailing Christian interpretation of the problem, but my understanding of the problem recognizes the, the, the very painful reality of the Jewish view of the problem, even though I don't think that Paul um, would agree with the Jewish view anymore in his day. He recognizes it. He recognizes it so much so that he needs to write and teach against it. So it's there in his day, and he doesn't espouse to it, but he recognizes that it is an existing problem. In other words, Paul doesn't really see the problem that the, the way the Christians do. That's, in, in my understanding, the, the 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 problem as articulated by Christianity Today is essentially a fabricated problem. It's it's a problem that's read back into the text. It's it's eisegesis, it's not exegesis. Um, that's what I mean by the term fabricated. It's 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 anachronistic to read back into Paul. So, given my understanding of the problem, here's what I understand the solution is that Paul's offering. Now listen to this. Jews and Gentiles must believe in Jesus in order to be saved. That's identical to the Jew to the Christian solution. However, listen to the rest. Subsequently, genuine Torah submissiveness, genuine Torah submissiveness becomes attainable because of the indwelling Ruach HaKodesh. Quite different from the from the Christian interpretation of the solution, right? In the Christian solution, Jews and Gentiles believe in Jesus, and I agree with that position. But then in the Christian view, Torah gets relaxed because of Jesus fulfilling the law. And I disagree with that. I think instead it's quite the opposite. Jesus doesn't do away with the law for Christians. Instead, Jesus strengthens our relationship to the law, both Jews and Gentiles. And he does this by, by, by um, empowering us with his own spirit, with the Holy Spirit that he promised that he would send us. And um, we then become... Um, stronger and genuine covenant members as we continue to avail ourselves of the um, sanctification process that is afforded to us by the washing of the water of the word via the power of the spirit within us. In other words, we actually genuinely fulfill Torah uh, as opposed to um, superficially walking in Torah in the flesh. We no longer um, walk according to the flesh and try to keep Torah the way an unsaved Jewish person might try. Rather, instead, by the Spirit, by the power of the Messiah in us, we can actually fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, and that means we actually do it. We actually do it. So there's a practicality to our faith. Our faith has feet. In other words, our faith has faithfulness. There are two sides of the coin that are struck together. Faith in Jesus and faithfulness to Torah are uh, the the, um, the uh, covenant faithfulness that we're going to describe. So, that being our primer, let's turn to the study. We're on the... We're near the bottom of page 75. That's where we left off. And we're starting this paragraph entitled um, Covenantal Nomism and Justification. Covenantal Nomism. What is this? Covenantal Nomism. And you can hear from the term itself... This is, again, a recall recap. We're in the summary section of my study. And um, so we've really already covered covenantal nomism way back up in section 5. So if you're not sure, I don't want to just, I don't want to rehash everything. Uh, go back to section 5 of my study and uh, re read, read the entire covenantal nomism definition there. But essentially, you can hear it in the term, covenantal nomism is, is essentially Torah obedience done for the sake of keeping loyalty to the covenant. It's it's covenant-driven loyalty to the Torah. And, I mean, you have to really uh, honestly admit, when you see a person keeping Torah, whether Jewish or Gentile, when you see a person keeping Torah, you can't really tell what's going on on the inside. You don't know if they're saved or not. All you see is a person keeping Torah. You see a person who's expressing loyalty to the covenant. You don't know why. It doesn't really speak of motive. You have to really talk to them if you want to see what's going on on the inside, if you want to catch a glimpse of their heart. 
And so for that reason, we can't really judge people just because of what they're doing. We can't really judge people. In, in essence, we can't say, oh, that person's a legalist because he's keeping the Sabbath. That that per, that Gentile, that, that Christian is a legalist because he believes in keeping kosher. Or that Jew is an unbeliever because he's obviously orthodox. You know, these are stereotypes that we probably best avoid. And it's unfortunate that the world is full of these types of stereotypes on both sides of the camp. Both sides of the camp, right? Um, Jews believe that Christians are not um, believers in God because of their belief in Jesus, uh, because of their expression of their faith, and because they don't follow after the, uh, the ceremonial parts of Torah. Jews, many unsaved Jews, uh, believe that Gentiles are essentially uh, um, idolaters. Uh, because of their expression of faith in Jesus and their expression of walking by, quote-unquote, the Spirit and living according to the, quote, New Testament, unquote. And by the same token, many Christians look at unsaved Jews, what they perceive to be as unsaved, because of their devotion to Torah, because of their um, uh, continued uh, keeping of Sabbath, kosher, wearing a seat seat, uh, circumcision, and things like that. So let's talk about this, covenantal nomism and justification, this this was a topic that we talked about in section 5, and here's what I had to say. This, is, by the way, is not just a repeat of what I said in section 5. It's actually a, a summary. It's a summation. So, we saw in section 5 that to better understand Paul's first century Judaisms from their historic perspective, one needs to gain an appreciation for the way the people interacted with the Torah as a social responsibility and, how one, and with how one expressed his loyalty to the covenant. Let me just pause and make sure that you understand. Jewish people in the first century, as I understand it, Jewish people who were who didn't espouse the faith in Jesus were nevertheless maintaining loyalty to the covenant and expressing this loyalty by means of Torah obedience. So they were leveraging their Torah obedience as an expression and maintenance of covenant membership and as a, um, a means of attaining uh, ritual purity via the sacrifices and, and things like that. So this is extremely important in the, in the covenantal nomism view for my readers today, my listeners today, for 21st century modern Christians. I think it's extremely important for you to grasp this concept that the Jewish people in Paul's day were probably not hoping their law-keeping would save them. In other words, they weren't practicing what the church today calls merit theology. They weren't practicing a works righteousness using the language of works as Torah obedience. Instead, it's very important that in the covenantal nomism view, that the Jewish people believed in a form of grace, a, a form of, of law-keeping, of what we might call a variegated nomism, that, um, that, that essentially espoused to election from God's perspective. In other words, it was a, it was couched in the language of grace. They didn't earn covenant membership by their works or by keeping the Torah. Instead, they believed that God graciously elected them as a people group, and therefore, as long as they maintained membership within that people group, viz, as long as they were born Jewish or became Jewish or married into Jewishness and then stayed Jewish, meaning they didn't get kicked out of the group because of gross idolatry or or uh, repeated uh, covenant violations, you know, um, breaking of Torah, things like that. As long as they didn't get kicked out and get cut off, then they remained uh, saved, as it were, to use church lingo. So you see my point. It's 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 really a a, a kind of a, a paradigm shift to read through Paul and to. Um, to see that 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 Paul's not combating some form of works righteousness that is tantamount to keeping the Torah to become saved. Instead, whenever we read the word works in Paul, it's quite often, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but it's quite often as we studied last week that works of the law, works, is is an s um, a um, a reference to some tor sort of um, um, affiliation with ethnicity or, or a. a preoccupation with with group membership something like that that's usually what works is uh trying to um uh trying to hint at this 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 um group membership and and 
And here's the thing that makes it a little confusing. Covenantal nomism is actually the two sides of the coin from the Jewish perspective that look like this. Jewish identity leads to and is upheld by and maintained by Torah obedience. See how that works? Jewish identity equals covenant membership, and covenant membership is maintained by Torah obedience. That's the Jewish worldview, the unsaved Jewish worldview. Let me say it one more time. I want you to really let this sink in. Jewish identity equals covenant membership. That's the first side of the coin. And when we flip the coin over, covenant membership is maintained and secured, not not. I'm sorry, not procured, not, it's not gotten, it's not created by Torah obedience, but rather it is sustained, it is maintained, it is upheld, as it were, by covenant uh, obedience. So, that's extremely important in the covenantal nomism view. Now, let's flesh this out. Because as we're going to see, both of those sides of the coin are still skewed. They're still slightly off the mark. They have some semblance of, 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 of accuracy, but they're missing something. So let's keep reading. What we found is that according to Sanders, and this is E.P. Sanders, right? According to his research, one got into the covenant by ethnicity. And this is the same research that I'm essentially um, uh, uh, working from as well. In other words... E.P. Sanders is the one who did the groundbreaking 1977 Paul and Palestinian Judaism um, book that is available uh, anywhere. You can buy it. In fact, I think you can read significant portions of it online. But Sanders um, put forth the hypothesis that based on his careful research of rabbinic literature and, and, and first century writings and uh, studying in Jerusalem and and corroborating this with uh, um, um, the, the scope of the New Testament as a historical book, a person in the first century, this would primarily include Jews, but it also included Gentiles, they counted their covenant membership by ethnicity, by Jewish lineage, and then they stayed into the covenant, they stayed a covenant member, in other words, they got in by ethnicity, and they stayed in, they, they stayed covenant members by maintenance of commandments. So, in other words, they used their Torah to make sure that they stayed as covenant members. They didn't use the Torah to become covenant members. They stayed covenant members. Indeed, in Sanders' view, and in his research, the ancient discussions on covenantal nomism in the minds of the rabbis essentially amounts to systematic teachings on salvation. And that's why we're going to talk. That's why I primed you by talking about soteriology. Recall this fancy phrase, soteriology is the study of salvation. It's the study of salvation. So, let's read the quote from Sanders. This is from that famous work, uh, Paul and Palestinian Judaism, Fortress Press, 1977. And this is lifted from page 17. Listen to this. Quote, In favor of the use of the term soteriology is that it points to a concern which is central to Judaism, a concern to be properly rather than improperly religious to serve God rather than to, to desert his way, to be in rather than out. When a man is concerned to be in rather than out, and of course, let me interject, what Sanders means by in is that a person is wants to be in the covenant, and out would, of course, be outside of the covenant. So really the question in the first century that Sanders um, spends a considerable amount of time dealing with is, the first century big question was, how does one get in? How does one get into the covenant? And then how does one stay in the covenant? So those are the two. Those are the. It's really one question: is um, what is that? What what defines covenant membership? Is essentially the big big question. And of course, Jews believe that the answer was ethnicity and group membership defines covenant membership, and therefore Gentiles, if they wish to be included into the covenant, you know, be included among the elect, they have to. Um, change their ethnic status and become legally recognized Jews. Essentially, that's that's the answer for them. So Sanders continues. He says, When a man is concerned to be in rather than out, we may consider him to have a soteriological concern, even though he may have no view concerning an afterlife at all. And of course, we know that in Christian uh, terminology, if you talk about salvation, primarily 
uh, it's a discussion about where are you going to spend eternity. That's typically the discussion um, topic when we're talking about the focus, that is, when we bring up this idea of salvation in Christian circles. Where will you spend eternity? Will you spend it with God or will you spend it away from God? And so the, um, the focus on salvation attempts within church circles, you know, the, the salvation message that's taught time and time again, is essentially an, an, an effort to bring sinners into a saving knowledge of Jesus so that they can spend eternity with God. And, and there's no mocking there. You're not hearing any mocking in my voice. That's, that is a genuine concern. But in the Jewish worldview, to speak of soteriology, to speak of salvation, may not essentially or even primarily, or, or uh, 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 even uh, um, contain um, a view of the afterlife at all. There does appear, if we, if we read through the rabbinic writings, there does appear to be, in rabbinic Judaism, Sanders goes on to say, a coherent and all-pervasive view of what constitutes the essence of Jewish religion, and of how that religion works, and we shall and and we shall occasionally, for the sake of convenience, call this view soteriology. In other words, the the, the rabbis of of the uh, surviving those who survived the destruction from the temple and created rabbinic Judaism in 200 CE, um, they talk about soteriology. They talk about salvation, and they do talk about works. And and Sanders says, let's call this soteriology for a moment. But he goes on to conclude. The all-pervasive view can be summarized in the phrase covenantal nomism. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Covenantal nomism. Instead of just focusing on soteriology, the idea in Judaism of covenantal nomism captures both sides of the coin. How does one get in and how does one stay in? How does one become a covenant member and how does one remain a covenant member? Or to use Christian lingo, how does one become saved and how does one stay saved or maintenance their their salvation? How does one make sure that they're not um, forfeiting their salvation of some sort? So, let's keep reading. We're on the top of page 76. Covenantal nomism concerns itself with keeping the Torah for the express purpose of exercising the freedom of living as an existing covenant member with the scriptural assurance that God was pleased with such nomistic service. That's essentially what covenantal nomism describes. Provided, I add, that it was done in faith. See that? Covenantal nomism focuses on Torah observance within existing covenant membership. So covenant, covenantal nomism does not per the Christian view, it does not leverage Torah obedience for the sake of becoming a covenant member. In Paul's day, the Jewish people believed they were covenant members by election. They believed that their ethnicity got them into the group. So, don't think that they were trying to keep the Torah to be saved. I don't think that's a proper view of Torah. I think it's a stereotype um, postulated by the Christian church and it's it's um it's essentially um um essentially uh carried down along to this day uh, it's it's it, it's maintained by most christian communities that i that i have any f uh, familiarity with um they believe that jews are trying to keep the torah to be some to be saved and that's just not quite what covenantal nomism um describes instead i go on to say covenantal nomism did not view the torah as a yoke of bondage the way the historic christian communities have done Remember when I described the Christian view in that um, the problem was that the that Jews and Gentiles were trying to keep Torah to be saved, and in their worldview, in, in the Christian perspective of Paul's writings, and in the Christian perspective or, or Christian interpretation of, of the first century Judaisms, because those Jews and Gentiles were trying to keep Torah to become saved, it amounted to legalism and, and essentially bondage. And therefore, Paul had to warn them and write that you need to run away, flee the bondage. You need to flee that mindset and run into the arms of Jesus and then he will set you free from the bondage of the law and bring you into the freedom of the Spirit. Therefore, um, 
don't worry about the law because it's it's a bygone era. It's it's a dispensation that's going away. It's coming to an end, and the and the dispensation of grace is dawning in the Messiah. Something to that effect. That's I know that's kind of a generalized view. It's not held um, in all Christian circles, but it is kind of the overarching uh, perspective that uh, one can encounter if you study Christian writings, Christian perspectives. I'm sorry. So let's keep reading. Um, however, Paul doesn't. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. However, doesn't Paul explicitly say in Galatians five that the law is bondage? Right. If if in a, if according to the covenantal nomism view, according to the Judaisms of Paul's day, the Torah itself, Torah obedience, was not a yoke of bondage the way the Christianities describe it. Then why does Paul use the language of bondage in Galatians 5? Didn't we read that there? I, Paul, tell you that if, if you become circumcised, Christ is of no effect. Um, let me go back and pull up the Galatians 5 passage out of the ESV. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to yoke of slavery. Right? What is this slavery that Paul's talking about? What's the bondage to the law? that Paul describes. Is it really bondage to the law that he's talking about? Let's keep reading. This is my opinion. And it's it's not my opinion only. I want you to know, some of you listening to my commentaries might get the impression that it's something that I came up with on my own. It's not. It's an opinion that's actually shared by many well-meaning Christians and many uh, prominent uh, Christian um, scholars share this opinion as well. And what is it? Here's what it is. Context shows that Paul is combating ethnic-driven corporate righteousness and ostensible covenant membership based on the social expectation and maintenance of law-keeping. There it is right there. That's covenantal nomism. Right? Two, one coin with two sides. That's covenantal nomism. One side of the coin is your ethnicity and covenant membership, and the other side of the coin is your Torah obedience and the maintenance of covenant membership. So it's it's both sides that are in view. It's 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 both sides of the coin that um, describe covenantal nomism. That's why you see such a heavy emphasis in the first century and in Paul's writings on law keeping. It's because the Jewish people were using that law keeping to keep themselves as covenant members, and so it very, it became very important how one lived so as not to get kicked out of the group by God himself. I describe it this way. Um, or I, I Here's what I go on to, to uh, say in my writing here, my commentary. Because of the groundbreaking work done by Sanders, scholars have come to learn that the social relationship to the law, as described by Paul and his contemporaries, is best subsumed under the label covenantal nomism. So instead of calling what the first century Jews engaged in, instead of calling it legalism, Instead of calling it bondage, instead of calling it works righteousness or merit theology, it's probably better just to call it covenantal nomism. Because what we're going to find is that really covenantal nomism itself is mistaken. That's right. No one gets into the covenant by becoming Jewish. No one gets into the covenant by merely being, being um, affiliated with the people of God. At least not on a lasting level. Right, no one gets into the covenant, the lasting covenant, by being a, a Jew or a be or or by um, a group affiliation, and no one maintains that affiliation by their own effort, by their own self righteousness, i.e., by by maintenance or keeping Torah by Torah obedience. So let's read this. The bondage of Galatians chapter five. I go on to say, uh, particularly verse one that I just read is spiritual bondage spelled out for any believer who might wish to return and to a first century Jewish worldview of corporate slash individual salvation and sanctification based on group membership and maintenance of Torah commands. So of course that's kind of written with the Jewish um, uh, person, I'm sorry, written with, with the Gentile person in mind, whether he be a first century Gentile or a 21st century Gentile who's hoping to um, um, gain some type of membership or earn God's favor by becoming Jewish. This was really more prevalent in Paul's day before we had the existing Christian communities that were firmly established uh, and uh, under the um, under the, uh, the 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 complete canon of Scripture, the New Testament that we call the so-called. Uh, 
before we had that that established um you know before like say the third and fourth fifth centuries and following the early first century uh, christian communities that were being formed right from within the synagogues themselves still uh still had gentiles wrestling with the idea of the importance of jewish identity as it related to covenant membership and this is because of the strong um influence in paul's day of the theology of ethnic driven um, covenant membership and group affiliation to Israel as a Jewish-only people group. And it was within that worldview that Gentiles had to ask themselves the serious question, if I want to belong to God's people, do I really have to give up my, my non-Jewish ethnicity? Do I have to leave my um, people group and join the people group known as Jewish Israel? Is that really what I have to have to do? And then after I, I'm recognized as a Jewish Israelite, do I then have to maintain a lifelong commitment and loyalty to Torah so that I don't forfeit this membership that I gain by conversion? You see the point? See my question there? So the bondage in, in chapter 5 of Galatians is not Paul warning Gentile Christians away from uh, falling into Torah obedience as Christians. He's not warning them that the law is bondage. He's not warning them to stop keeping Sabbath and kosher and to to, to run away from um, the uh, what we might call the ceremonial parts of the law because those are bondage to a Christian. No. What he's trying to warn them against is the mindset that believes that as a Christian, you're still not yet a covenant member until you're recognized as a Jew from within the legally recognized Jewish authorities and the Jewish um, um, uh, communities that were uh, touting this, uh, uh, this nationalistic worldview. See my point? It's, it's really, um, it's really a, a different way to look at Paul. Here's what I keep saying. Recall that in covenantal nomism, right, we read about this in, in section 5 above, covenantal nomism, in this view, one, quote, gets in, end quote, by belonging to the group, that is, by being legally born with or married into Jewish identity, or conversion to the legal status of Jewish, and one, quote, stays in, end quote, by keeping Torah. Right. So that's their view. That's covenantal nomism in a nutshell. You get in by being a Jew, you stay in by keeping Torah, that is to say, by avoiding idolatry, by availing yourself of the sacrifices to return yourself to a state of ritual purity, uh, things like that. In other words, when you sin, the Torah is there to provide a remedy for sin, and you express your existing covenant membership by loyalty to the Torah. That's what I call maintenance of Torah commands, meaning you do the Torah to stay saved. You don't do the Torah to become saved. That's the um, covenantal nomism view. However, look at this. Look at this. This is equally important. I really want this to sink in. So I'm going to go slow to make sure you catch it. Remind yourself that neither of these two quote, gets in, stays in, end quote, facts are true in God's courtroom. Let me just pause there, make sure you understand. In the covenantal nomism view, you get in by being born Jewish or conversion, or, you know, group affiliation to Israel, and you stay in by maintaining your loyalty to covenant, uh, to, to the Torah. In other words, you do the Torah to stay a covenant member by not thumbing your nose at Torah commands, by following the uh, the prescriptions to return to a state of ritual purity when you become impure, etc., etc. In other words, you don't blatantly, wantonly uh, eat uh, forbidden foods and become ritually impure or whatnot. You don't you don't engage in ritual purity and idolatry because if you do those things, you'll get kicked out of the community and you'll eventually get uh, exercised out of the uh, out of out of the group by God Himself. You'll 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 fall under the penalty of karat, which in the Old Testament, is described as uh, cut off. So, in covenantal nomism, they maintain those two sides of the coin. But if you stop and remind yourself as a, as a believer today, as a Jewish Gentile believer and Messiah today, from the proper Torah perspective, this includes Old Testament and New Testament, right? From, from a proper perspective of the Bible, 
you don't really get into genuine and lasting covenant membership by being a Jew or becoming a Jew or being born Jewish. And you certainly don't maintain your covenant membership, read here salvation, by doing the Torah, by keeping Torah. Neither one of those sides of the coin really amounts towards genuine and lasting salvation or covenant membership. I'm using the word covenant membership um, in, as a kind of a stand-in for salvation because that's essentially what soteriology is described as in uh, rabbinic uh, writings is uh, covenant membership. When when we read covenant membership in rabbinic writings, essentially we're describing the, the process that Christians call salvation, right? So you have to keep reminding yourself that even though that's what the Paul's contemporaries may have held to, this covenantal nomism view, in reality, that's, that is a skewed view of getting in and staying in. In reality, the correct way to get into the covenant is by faith in Jesus, and the correct way to stay in the covenant is by reliance on the power of the Spirit. And here's how I describe it, right, in my own commentary. Um, let me back up. Remind yourself that neither of these two gets in, stays in facts, are true in God's courtroom. Thus, Paul is warning the, gen the genuine Galatian believers in chapter 5 that to, quote, get in, end quote, one places his faith in Yeshua, and that to, quote, stay in, end quote, one waits for the hope of righteousness by faith. And that's why we read it there. If you look at uh, Galatians 5, um, verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Uh, let me look at the Greek of uh, verse 5. The hope of righteousness. Um, uh, karatas except, except, no. Um, the, uh, 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 the that's the hope of righteousness. Um, so it's, it's this dikaiosunes that we talked about in, in previous studies. Um, uh, this dikaios, uh, word group, the verb and the noun and the adjective that are all related to one another. Dikaios, dikaiosunes, dikaios. Um, things like that. These are the legal terminologies that Paul borrowed from the uh, um, uh, language of his day, from the Greek of his day, to describe how God viewed a genuine and lasting covenant membership. And from God's perspective, we know that, at, um, which of course is the most important perspective, right? When all is said and done by the end of the day, it's not really what you think, it's what God thinks about you. How did you get in, and how did you stay in? How were you? How were you maintained? Did you stay in? Did you get in by by works and stay in by works? Did you get in by ethnicity and stay in by works? Did you get in by faith in Jesus and stay in by by faith in Jesus? Essentially, right? Those those are the really the the, the big questions that really need to be answered when we're um, reading through Paul's writings. Let's keep reading my own commentary. The debt. To the whole law, verse three in Romans, I'm um, sorry, in Galatians chapter five that we read about, that Paul warns, it's not really a debt of, it's not really a debt to keep the entire Torah perfectly like Christianity teaches today. Instead, it's a, as I describe it, it's a debt to whatever ethnocentric Jewish conversion policy the hapless Gentile converts would submit themselves to, should they venture down that bondage-laden path. A debt that I add might would surely exclude group membership and Torah observance for non-Jews, and that's really why it is bondage. It's bondage because, again, the, the the solution that the Judaisms of Paul's day were offering the Gentiles, the solution that the Gentiles were were being offered, was a Jewish-only covenant membership and a Jewish-only Torah obedience. Those two sides of the coin were both Jewish only. So it is a Jewish only coin. You get in by being a Jew or, or by marrying a Jew or by converting to Judaism, etc. And you stay in by maintaining your obedience and loyalty to the Torah as a Jew. And therefore, there's no room for Gentile identity within their solution. And that's why Paul calls it bondage. It's bondage because it's not in accordance with the truth of the gospel that the Torah and that salvation and that covenant membership, genuine covenant membership, 
is for Jews and Gentiles equally. Any solution to the problem, any solution from Paul's perspective, any solution that did not include Gentile and Jewish equality was a bondage solution, a, a bad solution, an error-laden solution, a false solution, a, um, a heretical solution at, the, at, the, at, at worst. Right, so that's what we need to remind ourselves is that as we read through Paul, anything that teaches that either covenant membership is for Jews only, or that Torah Torah obedience is for Jews only, any any description of a Jewish only um, covenant membership salvation or uh, obedience, any any such viewpoint is going to miss the mark and is going to be not in line with what the Torah teaches. Basically. If we were to describe covenantal nomism from a messianic perspective, from Paul's perspective, Paul had his own covenantal nomism. And the way he described it was, genuine and lasting covenant membership is procured by faith in Jesus, for Jew and Gentile alike. That's the first side of Paul's covenantal nomism coin. And the other side of Paul's covenantal nomism coin would be described as, um, uh, Torah obedience is made available and empowered by the Holy Spirit and made available for Jew and Gentile alike in the body of Messiah. So it's not a Jewish-only coin anymore. Covenant nomism is not a Jewish-only concept in Paul's mind. Rather, it is a genuine Jewish and Gentile in Messiah concept. And it is, and it is empowered by the Spirit concept. So all of these become the theology that Paul um, so carefully uh, gives us here in the book of Galatians. Let's keep reading my own commentary. We're actually almost finished. Um, actually, we're not almost finished. We have a whole other page to go. So I think what we'll do is we'll just go for an, a few more paragraphs and then I'll draw this commentary to a close and we'll pick this up next week. And that way, essentially, what we'll be ready for uh, uh, after we come out of the break is a new section. We're near the bottom of page 76. Uh, concluding this paragraph uh, that I just read, the debt to the whole law, verse three, is a debt to do, uh, a debt to whatever ethnocentric Jewish conversion um, policy the hapless Gentile converts would submit themselves to, should they venture down that bondage-laden path, a debt that surely excluded group membership and Torah observance for non-Jews. Now, this is essentially the talk on covenant nomism. Let's turn now, begin to turn now to justification. Remember, this section is entitled Covenantal Nomism and Justification. Justification, I say, by law, in verse 4, uh, if we go back and look at the passage, um, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified, right? Justified, dikaiuste, in uh, the Greek. You would be justified by the law. Um, uh, we would say, in namo dikaiuste. Uh, justified by the law. You who would be justified by the law. Justification by the law in verse 4 means, in Paul's day, it meant ostensible justification by the policy that teaches a, quote, Jewish-only Israel, end quote. Right? That's really the justification by law that the Judaisms of Paul's day were purporting, is that uh, Jew it was a Jewish-only justification, a Jewish-only covenant membership. And I'm, I'm just going to keep stressing this fact because I realize for many of you listening to my commentary, maybe not so for the students because they've heard this ad, ad, ad nauseum, right? For them, this is old hat. But for those of you who might be new, those of you who are maybe picking up this commentary for the first or second or third time, and you're listening to this uh, audio on the, iPod, on the uh, podcast on the iTunes store or something like that, um, for you, this is probably new. This is new. So that's why I keep stressing it. Hope, hopefully it will sink in the position that I'm purporting here that I believe is probably a better way to understand Paul. Let's keep reading. Next paragraph. What we learn from our studies on this topic, uh, we're speaking about justification now, is that axiomatic for Paul in his teaching on covenantal nomism and justification is his messianic understanding and application of Habakkuk's famous Pasuk, Habakkuk's famous verse. And what was that verse? We already know this. This is Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by his faith. And we know that that's lifted 
and uh, carried over into Romans one seventeen. You know, the just shall live by faith, the famous uh, Lutheran quote. In Habakkuk two four, I go on to say, the last half of the verse is usually translated, quote, "The righteous shall live by his faith," but based on one Hebrew word in the verse, it could just easily just as easily be translated, quote. The righteous shall live by his faithfulness. End quote. You see that there? Instead of the righteous shall live by faith, as we were so um, familiar with it from Romans one seventeen, the, the just shall live by faith. Um, quoting the Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. Most translate. well I shouldn't say most, but many, look at this. Um, many translations, uh, the NIV, the NLT, the NET, and the GWT, Instead of faith, they have the word faithfulness. Because what I say, what I what I bring out for you, is that the Hebrew word emunah, emunah is the root word used for faith in many translations. The root word emunah is both faith and faithfulness. It's faith and faithfulness. And to be sure, it's parsed out as emunato. Um, uh, if I go back and look it up in the in the Hebrew, it's something to the effect of emunato yihir shall live by his faithfulness. Emunato, the uh, the toe at the very end of emuna, is kind of the genitive, his faithfulness. It's the possessive. It forms the possessive when we hear the word toe, the T-O, at the end of emuna. So emunato is his faithfulness, or his faith. Um, so it's not wrong to translate translate Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by his faith, nor is it wrong to translate it as the righteous shall live by his faithfulness. Both Words are accurate, faith and faithfulness. So, um, Young's literal translation actually has steadfastness. And then I think what I want to do is I want to stop the commentary here, since we're right at about 60 minutes into the uh, study, and that's a good place to stop. Next week, we'll finish our um, look at the summary section on um, covenantal nomism and justification. We'll pick up the study right at the top of page 77, and we'll begin talking again about this idea of righteousness, that is justification, the um, Hebrew word emunah, which is, corresponds to, uh, in this case, um, faith, faithfulness. Uh, it, it, it relates to our Greek word uh, dikaiosune, uh, justification, uh, righteousness, etc., etc. Okay, so let's close in prayer. And for those of you who are in the study, you're welcome to stay with me for the next 15 minutes or so. We'll engage in some chat, um, Q&A, um, commentary, etc. Okay? Let's close. Abba, I bless you and thank your name. Uh, thank you and thank you. Uh, bless your name for uh, the time that we've been able to spend together as students, as, as fellow uh, uh, Torah students, as teacher and student, um, as fellow teachers. Lord, I bless you for uh, your words, for your scriptures, for your promises, for your covenants. Lord, all of your promises are yes and amen in Yeshua. And so we seek to find our place in him. We seek to find our covenant membership in his name. We seek to be uh, withheld, our covenant membership to be withheld, to be sustained by the power of his righteousness, by, not by our own power, not by the power of our flesh, not by our own ethnicity, not by our, any works righteousness, not by any merit theology, Lord, but only only in the finished work of Messiah, for he alone has the power to keep us and to save us and to sustain us and to carry us to that day, to, to present us blameless to the Father. Thank you, Lord, Yeshua, that you have, have um, uh, presented yourself to the Father blameless and that you uh, endured the cross and the suffering, the shame, and uh, you died for us and rose again for us, and now you intercede for us. Thank you that you sent your Spirit to remind us of your words and to empower us to live a sanctified life. Thank you, Lord, that you're raising us up in this last and evil day and that you're causing us uh, to be witnesses and that you're helping us to maintain um, a, uh, a sense of holiness about us to, to help us to to be a holy people of God, so that when people encounter us, they don't encounter a, a life of according to the flesh. Rather, by your Spirit, they encounter the risen Messiah. They encounter Jesus in us. They see the light in us, which is you, Lord. Thank you that you are our light. Bless you, Lord, for all of these things. Carry the students along this week as they seek to press in 
to you and and to your words. And uh, Lord, uh, forgive us where we fall, where we err, where we sin. We'll be careful, Lord, to continue to uh, recognize that it is by your authority that all things are possible. B'shem Shua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>